This episode is brought to you by MSW Nutrition and Lounge, a partner in the How Do You Health Network. For decades, I've struggled with various gut and autoimmune issues, which have forced me to alter my life and career. Within the last year, though, after undergoing numerous blood tests, I've discovered that a majority of my health problems, they've been linked to vitamin and mineral deficiencies. Because I am now able to see what I was deficient in, I can also supplement against those deficiencies with the proper daily vitamins and minerals, as well as receive weekly IVs that are specific to my needs. This has changed the game for me. Today, not only do I feel like a completely new person, my ability to focus in life and business has increased, my athletic performance is better now than when I was a collegiate athlete, and most importantly, the relationship I have with myself, as well as the people I care about most, they are all thriving, and I'd love for you to feel the same way. So no matter where you are at in your health journey, whether it is scheduling your blood work or supplementing for your health needs, the beautiful part is the community at MSW and How Do You Health, they will listen to you and help you figure out the best path for you. So go to howdoyouhealth.com and use code THRIVE15 for 15% off all products and services. What's up? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's episode is with Eric Hinman, a health and wellness, tech, and hospitality entrepreneur and investor. As a five-time Ironman who has one hell of an epic Ironman story, you have to tune in to hear it. Eric is a guy who shows up every day and practices everything that he preaches. So if you're looking for someone that is going to do whatever it takes to become a better human every single day, look no further than his Instagram account. And if you do that, it will be hard for you not to be motivated to go out and better yourself once you connect with him. I love this conversation because Eric's energy is contagious, and during the entire episode, he had me wondering what I could go out and achieve once we put the mics down. And I know he will do the exact same for you. I'm already looking forward to his next visit to the ATX, but until then, let's give it up for Eric Hinman. What is up, fam? CJ Finley here, back again with another Thrive on Life podcast. And today I am extremely excited. I know usually I say super, so I'm trying to switch that up a little bit, change up the vocabulary. But I'm very excited today to converse with today's guest, Mr. Eric Hinman. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, man. It's been so much fun here in Austin and stoked that, you know, Angela introduced us to you and you exposed us to Squatch. It's been, yeah, just if we feel like we have this amazing community here, having been here for a week. Well, you don't have to feel like it because you do. And I'm blessed to live here and know what that feels like every day. So every time we have the opportunity to introduce anyone that's from out of town, Austin, Texas, uh, you're welcome. And today I kind of want to start off with a story you told us, I think it was in the sauna, but if y'all know Eric, obviously, if you're tuning in this episode, you probably have seen him on social media. He's an absolute animal when it comes to the world of training, health, wellness, the whole nine yards. But when we were doing pull-ups, I realized that he couldn't bend one of his fingers, which is kind of like, if you're watching this video, you'll see, it's kind of interesting. I've never seen that happen to anybody. So I'd love to just kick that off. And why the hell can't you... Uh, is that your ring finger on your right hand? Yeah. It is. Why can't you bend that? Yep. So 2013, I was training for Ironman Lake Placid in hopes to qualify for the world championships in Kona, Hawaii. 
And I was out for a routine bike ride in Jamesville, New York. I'm from upstate New York, Syracuse area. And I was super sweaty. It was a hot July day. And I was in the aero position and I was messing around with my bike computer on my bike because my I don't think my heart rate was working or something. <laughs> so I'm trucking along like 25 miles per hour, you know, messing around on this. And I hit a little bump and my arm slipped on the aero pads, 25 miles per hour, went down on the road. And this is 10 days before Ironman Lake Placid. I'm supposed to be competing. I'm in the best shape of my life, hoping to qualify for Kona at this race. And I crash. And at the time, I thought I lost my chin. I literally skidded on my face, and I ended up having to get 16 stitches on my chin. That was what I was most concerned about when it happened. So I went to the ER, had to wait for five hours in the ER until they finally cleaned it up and stitched me up. And I had stitches here. I had road rash everywhere, stitches here. And I remember when we were in the ER, I asked the doctor, I said, do you think I'll be able to swim tomorrow? Like I'm training for Ironman like Placid. I got to keep training and, and prep for this race. And she looked at me like, no, like you're definitely not going to be able to swim. You have stitches, so you're not supposed to sweat. And I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> the next day I ended up biking. The day after that I ran, but I couldn't swim until I had the stitches out two days before the race. And I had asked a doctor like what he thought about me swimming with this still open. And he said, I don't think it's a good idea, but he was an Ironman athlete as well. And he's like, but you've been training all year. Like, I'm not going to tell you not to do it. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm doing it. I don't care how much pain there is. I don't care what the repercussions <laughs> are. Like, I am in the best shape of my life. I got to qualify for Kona. So I asked the race officials. I couldn't put any pressure on my hand. It was just like so sore. And at the time, I didn't know that it was infected. So... I asked race officials if I could buddy tape my fingers together. That was the only way I could swim and it wasn't like debilitating pain. They said yes. So I wrapped all these fingers together. It hurt like taking my wetsuit on and off. Like anything that rubbed this or touched this was horrible. And like gripping my bike, I had to grip it with these two fingers. I couldn't move like any of this side of my hand. So I ended up getting through the swim on the bike. It was raining that year in Lake Placid. And I mean, there's descents where I'm going 55 miles per hour and I'm doing it with like hardly any grip on my right hand, just like don't fall. <laughs> so get through the bike, had a great bike, had a great run, ended up qualifying for Kona. And then afterwards, I went back into the doctor for them to look at this because it was just gnarly afterwards. It was so swollen. Everything was pink. And they're like, yeah, it's infected really, really bad. You might lose your finger. So I'm like, I got Kona coming up in October. I'm like, do you tell me what I have to do in order to race Kona in October? So like, all right, you know, hopefully you don't have to lose your finger. We're going to have to operate on it, blah, blah, blah. So ended up having them operate on it. And the joint was just so badly damaged from the infection that that's why I can't move it. <laughs> but ended up competing in Kona. And, you know, for the rest of my life, I got this finger that sticks out whenever I do pull-ups or whatever. I'm holding a and bar. You have an, you see like this. The most important thing is an awesome story. I got a great story from yeah, it. Yeah, that is a that is a main story and like you didn't lose your finger so like I did there's lose that finger. but I'd love for the audience to know those that are not familiar what goes into an Ironman so from like preparation to what are the distances of the different individual things running biking swimming and then how does it work when you say Kona what does that mean so just kind of describing like your journey how long did you train for and then what are the distances that you're training for and then what does it mean to like go to Kona yeah so a typical sprint triathlon, we'll start with that, is an 800-meter swim, 
anywhere from a 10 to to 14 mile bike ride and then a 5k run at the end. Olympic distance is generally about double those distances. A half Ironman, double again. So a half Ironman would be a 1.2 mile swim, a 56 mile bike, and then a half marathon. A full Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim, a 112 mile bike, and then a marathon at the end. And Kona is the Ironman World Championships. And the way you get to Kona is by qualification. So within each Ironman race, they allocate a certain number of spots for each age group, depending on the number of participants. So in my age group at the time, I was 30 to 34, and we'd usually have three to four slots within each Ironman race to grab to get to Kona. So meaning I'd have to finish in the top four within my age group to, to get a Kona qualifying slot. 30 to 34 is one of the most competitive age groups. So you're essentially yeah. like, you got to be like a top five amateur in the race in order to go to Kona in that age group. So yeah, it's, I mean, it takes tremendous dedication to, to get one of those spots. You're training 20 to 25 hours a week and you got to do recovery. You're tired. It just, it's all consuming. I'm so glad I did it. It taught me a lot of valuable life lessons, but you know, if you want to balance other things, it's very difficult to balance other things. If you're competing at that level in Ironman, half Ironman, I always tell people is like, that's where you can get some like huge wins. You can check off some life goals, but still like maintain, you know, your relationships and run a business and, and what else. But yeah, if you want to compete at the highest level in Ironman, it's, you're essentially training like a pro athlete. That's intense. And I guess a personal question for me is, did you ever see yourself competing in Ironman? Like, I'd love to know what that journey is for you. Cause I know it's different for everybody. People lose loved ones. People need to switch up in their life. There's athletes that just want to get back into something competitive. But for you personally, what was the driving factor to even do an Ironman? Like you were saying, it like it's all consuming. Yeah. So what were you looking for when you signed up to do that? Yep. I thought the bikes looked really cool. And that's honestly <laughs> yeah. why I got into triathlon. So uh, the story is I played three sports in high school, basketball, uh, cross country and track. So I had a running background. I was a decent runner, certainly not known out of the state or even a local level. It was, I ran well for my high school. And after high school, I got out of shape. I was driving 50,000 miles a year with my first career and the first five years, like I, it was a downward trend in health and wellness. So I hired a personal trainer in my mid twenties to get me back in aesthetically good looking shape. I was doing CrossFit type workouts and I started running again, you know, around 24, 25 years old and signed up for some running races. They absolutely crushed me. So I'm like, wow, like you can be aesthetically, you know, good looking, but not fit. (laughs) So then I'm like, I want to get fit again. So I started running again and then I bought a mountain bike. I started mountain biking for a couple months and I met some friends that were training for this half Ironman that was coming to Syracuse. It was the inaugural year that it was coming there. And they had these fancy bikes with four handlebars. And I'm like, those are really cool. I want one of those. So I'm like, well, if I get one, I probably have to do a triathlon. (laughs) So I sold my mountain bike. I got a triathlon bike and I signed up for a sprint triathlon 
triathlon in 2009. And I almost drowned in the swim. I had no swimming background. <laughs> I was like, that would be me. I was side stroking the whole time. I didn't put my head in the water. I was too scared. And you got people around you. You yeah. don't know where you are. I mean, it's, yeah. That's what keeps is, me from really doing anything like that is the, is it's the swim wild. Part. I mean, it's kind of like boxing where it's kind of a combat sport in the swim and you just got to embrace that's part of it. Like you might get hit, you know, you're going to, you're going to suck water in and, you know, it's part of it. So, uh, I passed a lot of people on the bike. I passed a lot of people on the run and you know, that was empowering. And after that race, I was just hooked. I'm like, this is cool. And I've always been an entrepreneur and I like creating my own destiny. Triathlon to me was the athletic version of entrepreneurship where your results are directly correlated with how much purposeful practice you put in. So that's what I loved about it. It's like, I control my future with this. Like, you know, you don't have to be tall. You don't like, there's no genetic gift you need. You just need to put in dedicated work to do well in triathlon. So, you know, I signed up for an Olympic distance and then a half Ironman. After my first half Ironman, I, I told my girlfriend at the time, I'm never doing Doing this again. This is horrible. I had to stand under a fire hose for 30 minutes to like revive myself. And then 45 minutes later, I'm like, I think I'm going to do a full Ironman. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, throughout that time period, I was doing these practice triathlons every Wednesday night in Jamesville, New York. And like I would go all out because I was coming from doing CrossFit type back CrossFit yeah. type workouts. I was used to going hard, and you know I liked that feeling of accomplishment and pain. So I would win these Wednesday night triathlons whenever whenever I showed up. You know, maybe a year and a half in of of doing it. And, but then when I raced locally, there was this one guy, Mike Corona, who kept beating me in the local races. And I looked the part, like I was, you know, I had the body doing the CrossFit workouts and the strength training. I was pretty ripped and muscular and, you know, he, he didn't look the part, but he was beating me in every damn race. So I'm like, what the hell, how is he beating me? But he doesn't beat me on Wednesday nights. So I ended up hiring him as my coach. And he taught me a very, very valuable lesson of, there's training hard and there's training smart. And I was training hard all the time. I wasn't training smart. In triathlon, as you go up in distance, it's all about having an aerobic engine and durability and nutrition. And I didn't have an aerobic engine and I did not have durability. I just had like speed and anaerobic fitness. So he told me to slow down. Like you have to slow down in all of your workouts in order to speed up in racing and you'll beat me. So it took him like three or four months to finally like convince me that was the way to go. And then I started running slower. I Prior to him, I was running everything at a sub seven minute per mile pace, but I never go more than like six miles because yeah. I was running at like a 175 heart rate. I was going hard. And he's like, don't go above 140. I'm like, I don't feel like I'm working at 140 heart rate. That's an 830 pace. That's like a slow jog. And he's like, run an 830 pace under 140. If you go above 140, you're not my client anymore. So I'm like, That's all right, awesome. I'm going to go under 140. So, you know, at that time, 830 per mile. This is, you know, 2010, let's call it. By 2014, doing very little speed work at all, I was running 20 plus miles at a 629 pace at a 129 heart rate. And it was all from doing that just low heart rate, building volume, building durability. I was eating a high fat diet during that time period. So teaching my body to burn fat for fuel. And yeah, just by doing that, I became this aerobic monster. There's so much to unpack there. And it's interesting. So First thing I want to get into is when you mentioned getting your ass kicked, but then wanting to do it. 
continuously do it and continue to train for it. It's funny because two, we're two days out from High Rocks in Dallas. That was High Rocks for me. The first one, spring of 2020, I looked apart. Like I, I looked the same as I did back then, which was almost two years ago. But I, within 20 minutes, there's like guys that are like overweight passing me on this course. And I was like, damn, I need to get fit again. I was a collegiate athlete and I had lost because I would just go to the gym and just do whatever. I'd lost that like competitive edge of like being really fit. Now it's funny because having gone that whole transition over the past year and a half, like I trained with the guys here in Austin and then just seeing you come to town and see the level, just the difference level. And it reminds me of like collegiate sports when we would train with like professional uh, level athletes and then we were in co- and you just you know how to get there. So like, I know how to do what you're doing, but I love how you said it's, it's time. It's, it's patience. It's slowing down. I'm, my wife and I are reading book 80, 20, which talks about like 80% of the time you should be running at, I mean, eight to 10 minute miles, yep. depending on your heart rate, just like you said, depending on who you are. So for me, like below 140, below 150, I'm probably running a nine. And that's what I've been doing recently. And even on, what do we do? Monday, six miles, we're going at a pretty slow pace, but the question I have is you were going really hard and that's something that I've seen in you just working out next to you the past couple of days. Was that something that you had to train yourself to get to, or was that just always you? So go back like when you're a kid and then through your teenage years and you mentioned you're a three sport athlete, was that always you or what triggered that in you to be able to get to that level of intensity? Cause before you answer the most impressive thing I've been able to see you do compared to most people that I see out there is your ability to switch your energy level from one minute you're taking a photo or a video and like very relaxed to the very next minute you are at 200 miles an hour. And for me, that's probably one of the biggest struggles because as soon as I whip my phone out or do whatever and I'm distracted, it's very hard for me to get back into that zone of intensity, but you're a master of that. What has conditioned you to be like that? Mm -hmm. I've always been really competitive with myself, just wanting to better myself incrementally over time. And so the training that I'm doing now, which I'm doing a lot of anaerobic intervals, is not my comfortable place. My comfortable place, having done triathlon for years, is just going steady state for long periods of time. But the past year, I've really conditioned my mind to like, all right, if you want to continue improving your fitness, you've got the aerobic base. Like I've done that for years. I'm already up here with that, but my anaerobic fitness is down here. So, you know, I had to back. And what is aerobic and anaerobic? Yeah, just so, so aerobic, know. aerobic fitness is, you know, conversational heart rate. So, you know, for me, my aerobic heart rate is between like 130 and 140. And my anaerobic heart rate, which is basically like a red line, it really hurts. Like afterwards, you're on the ground for probably longer than you actually worked out for. That for me is around 170 to 180. And, you know, kind of anywhere between those is is kind of a gray zone training area. Like if you want to improve your aerobic fitness, do 80% of your workouts at the 130 to 140 heart rate. For some, it may be higher. My aerobic heart rate is pretty low. So it might be 140 to 150, depends on your max heart rate. And then the anaerobic zone is to increase your lactic threshold and to increase your, your anaerobic capacity. And, you know, for me, I'm doing those at like 170 to 180 heart rate. And I had to learn to back way off on the volume and incorporate rest. And that's not something I was good at before. I just wanted to go 80% all the time. Like if it was a two hour gym session, I'm working out for two hours. I'm not resting in between. Like 
I'm not burning calories if I'm resting. So that was kind of my mindset, which I had to switch. And, you know, with some of these short bike sprints, it's only 15 seconds, 20 seconds of work. And then I'm resting two minutes in between them. I'm doing it six times. And that's my conditioning for the day. And that's how I'm going to improve my anaerobic threshold and my lactate threshold is by doing those short sprints with lots of rest so that you can back up that same intensity over and over again. So that does not come natural to me. You're, you've just, you've seen me in this phase where it might look like I'm comfortable and I have the mindset around it now where I can do it and I know what it's going to feel like, kind of like ice baths and I'm comfortable doing it, but it still hurts like hell. <laughs> and I also hear there's been a lot of people I want to interact with people and that's been a ton of fun, but typically when I'm doing these sessions, I have my headphones in, I'm listening to one song on repeat and I'm like in the zone. I'm not distracted. I'm not talking to anyone. So this is kind of an anomaly, just being in a new place and wanting to meet lots of cool people. But yeah, typically I'm very tunnel vision focused when I'm doing those kind of intervals. And same with triathlon. I mean, 90% of my training with triathlon, I was doing solo. Like I had my plan. I'm going off. I'm doing my run at my heart rate, you know, my pace. I'm doing bike rides at the wattage that I want to hit. And, you know, if you want to excel at things, you kind of have to do that. Some of these CrossFit workouts, it's nice to have people around because they push your energy levels. But also, that can be a recipe for disaster if you're going, you know, too hard for yourself because others are around you. What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Eric. I hope you're loving this conversation so far. But before you get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low, and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you, though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now, you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. Head over to cjfinley.com and sign up for my daily newsletter, where I will be giving you information, impactful stories, tips and tricks, and access to a community who are focused on making an impact above and beyond themselves. You'll also have the perk of exclusive giveaways, potential shout outs, and possibly even some collaborations. The least that will happen is you will walk away into every day with an extra pep in your step. My promise is that I will always do my best to help you thrive on life. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, connect with like-minded individuals and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with Eric Hinman. I kind of want to switch the pace of this conversation a little bit into what have been some of the struggles on the road to everything that you've been going towards. So just to start, like during the first Ironman and really getting yourself into a level of being fit again, what were some of the top struggles that you had to endure besides obviously after the Lake Placid incident where you can't move your finger anymore? Yeah. I mean, balancing things at the time when I got into Ironman, I had, I still have, but I was still in the operational phase of an insurance business. I had just started a software company. In my later triathlon years, I had opened a gym and just like juggling all of these balls. And I do best when I'm wearing one hat. You know, I'm going through life with one hat on, thinking about one thing and applying everything to that thing. I don't do well when I'm 10% in here, I got a foot in over here and a little bit over here. So I had to start divesting in things. You know, I hired someone who started managing my insurance business. 
I sold my shares in the software company. I phased out of being operational in the gym, and that allowed me to focus on Ironman training. And you know, now my day to day is very much content creation, working with different brands. And you know, I wear that hat. I go through life making connections, connecting people, documenting my days, trying to share things that I think will be valuable for other people. And it's all with this hat on of being an ambassador for lots of different brands. And that's how I function best is when I'm just thinking about kind of one thing at a time, mastering that until I no longer have passion for it or find purpose in it. And then there's usually kind of a period of time where you're like starting to dabble in a new thing before you let that thing go. And then, you know, I go all in on the next thing. I like that because it's kind of counterintuitive to how I approach things only because I'm like a little bit the opposite. It makes me really anxious when I'm only head down into one thing. And I've noticed that there's, uh, I think Gary Vee has a saying, it's like juggling tons of balls. You just have to get used to like dropping a few. That's kind of how I live my life. But I always like understanding the different types of worlds. And I think for me, one of the things that I try and do is understand which ones have tears, meaning like even in your life right now. So it's like you're working with different brands, but I'm sure in your head, you have different tiers of what you need to do for each of those brands and then also what you need to do for yourself and what you need to do for your relationship and things like that. And I think that doesn't come without the feeling of being overwhelmed and then starting to divest. So it's cool to hear that you were kind of like biting off more than you can chew a little bit and then pulling it back. A little bit of a selfish question for me is I see the content side of you and a bunch of other people do. What is something that like you like to do or a hobby you like to do that Listeners wouldn't know, people on the content wouldn't know. Yeah, just something off the cuff that's just like you love to do or you're interested in that would surprise people. Yeah. I'm just getting back into like day trading stocks. I've been fascinated with cryptocurrency and just investing in different companies. So that's been kind of new. I was in that world, obviously, prior years when I was more into, you know, focusing on business and not as much health and wellness, but I'm starting to dabble back into that. Some other stuff, Sarah and I love playing like Yahtzee and board games. Uh, we love having people over and playing board games. So are you as intense at the board game as you are? When oh you're my God, out? ask my mom. I used to be <laughs> so competitive with it. I hated losing. Like it ruined my night if I lost to my mom and like skip bowing Uno growing up as a kid. I'm not as bad anymore. But yes, I used to be very competitive at it. You know, my years of being competitive with others, I think, are behind me. I got to a point, and I think some of it was through triathlon, where it was really no longer how I was placing. It was like, did I perform to my ability? Did I perform to where I thought my training would lead me? And yeah, after triathlon, I lost a lot of my competitiveness against others. And, you know, I don't really compete in CrossFit. I do the open each year, but in all of these workouts, like I'm just, I'm doing me. I'm, I'm competing against myself. I'm trying to better myself. So I've lost a lot of that. Like I have to beat you. I have to beat you. I have to beat you. And I just want to like, I want to feel good afterwards. And to feel good afterwards, I have to know that like I pushed as hard as I could. It's interesting. Cause I, I know what that feeling, that feeling is like, that's why I quit team sports because I started feeling like I let was letting people down because they were so serious about it. We were kind of talking about this at dinner last night where like I played soccer all my life. And one of the reasons that I stopped playing, people tell me all the time, like, come kick it, come sign up for this team or that team. And one of the reasons that uh, I really shy away from it now is like, I'll go out there and I don't like the feeling of me not 
being competitive. But in the gym or like with the high rocks, like I am competitive. I, I want to push myself or with my business or the things I'm reading, things I'm writing. I'm very competitive. This podcast, very competitive. Why is that for you? Was there a turning point? What do you think? I know one of the main reasons for me was longevity. I started looking at longevity of everything that I was doing. So like if I'm playing a team sport and I'm super competitive at at this one thing, then it kind of hinders me in other areas of my life. So I started looking at, if you're really competitive in the gym, it only adds value to like everything else that you're doing. It's way lower risk of, unless you're an idiot, which you're not, and you know what you're doing in the gym, you're not going to injure yourself in the long run, which will affect your business or affect everything else you're doing, your relationship. But sports is like, there's a lot more variables with that. And there's also the ego that goes along trying to be something to other people, the team, whatever. But for you, what led to that transition? Mm -hmm. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I love the phrase, comparison is the thief of joy. And I just got past the public perception and ego side of it. I realized that a lot of the things I was doing were just for that. I was doing it to stoke my ego, and I was doing it because of the public perception of being a success or a failure. And I'm going to go back to like chasing money versus chasing being the best version of yourself. I got to a point in my life where through the Ironman years where I'm like, why am I just constantly chasing money when it's not really making me any happier? But when I go out for a run, I go out for a bike ride, when I get back, I just feel so fulfilled. I feel like the best version of myself. I have tremendous energy. I'm bettering those around me. People are inspired. And I'm like, I want to build my life around these things that are just, my cup is full, overflowing, and then I can give back to others instead of competing against someone else and comparing myself to someone else. And, you know, there's always going to be someone better than you. There's always going to be someone richer than you. It's like, that's just a never ending trap of never being satisfied. And I think it's a balancing act of, I am competitive, but with myself, like I want to continue to figure out how to be the best version of myself instead of how can I have more money than this person? How can I beat this person in that? So yeah. I think that's that's a that's a wonderful way to look at it, especially for driven people out there because I mean when we're kids and you're driven, it's like get good grades, be yeah. the best at the sports, go to college, get a great job, make the money. And then for me it was the same thing. I got that job and just like the money didn't feel as good as helping somebody in the gym. Like I was yeah. training clients prior to going to my full time job and realized that the six AM was the best time of my day being with that other person, inspiring them to go do more and transitioning my life into being more revolved around that. But I know that that transition is, it looks smooth when we look back on the story, but then if you're to think back, like the transitions are never easy. And especially in a time where everything's changing so fast, what would your advice be for someone that's out there right now that might have a corporate job or that insurance company or the software company and they start feeling that feeling that you had? What are some key tips that you think could help them speed up the progression into maybe switching their life into the things that are more fulfilling to them? Yeah. Am I anxious or am I present? Those are my two barometers for anything. So the people I'm around, the environments I'm in, the activities that I'm doing, am I completely present in those things or is my mind wandering? Am I wishing I was somewhere else? Am I wishing I was around other people? Am I wishing I was doing something else? 
write those things down. Like what makes your perfect day? What are those flow state activities where you're just completely present? Who are the people that you're around where you're completely present? What environments? Like this is one of the reasons why I moved to, to Colorado and now Utah. It's because I realized like how much my soul sings when I'm outside, when I'm out mountain biking for two hours, like I'm in the moment. I love that. And then afterwards, I'm like, I feel like the best version of myself. So yeah, I think it's writing those things down. And then same thing for anytime you're anxious, your mind is wandering, write down those things. You know, if it's board meetings, if it's you don't like managing people, like write down a lot of those things so you can understand like what's your operating manual? What makes you tick? What makes you feel like you're the best version of yourself? What were some of those things that you noticed were the sticking points? So for me, one of the things that I've said here on the podcast is timeless, things that feel timeless, meaning like right now, when I love podcasts. Like I don't know what time of day it is really. I'm just here and I, I seek those moments. And that's why I also love working out in fitness and going on runs and stuff like that. You just like you forget where you're at and you just feel so good afterwards. But what were some of the sticking points for you? Because I think a lot of people out there don't even realize how far in the deep end they actually are. I think so many people, especially like in 2021, are doing things unconsciously that they don't realize are kind of like soul sucking. What were some of the things for you that you noticed that you're like, you know what, like after I'm writing these down, I got to get rid of this and I'm going to switch over to that thing that made me feel good. Mm -hmm. I mean, from a people standpoint, I realized that a lot of the people I was interacting with when I went to New York City, for example, or Los Angeles that were in the health and wellness scene, like you and I, like I jived, you know, they were flow state conversations where we both were adding value. I mean, we could have sat there for five hours and just jammed. So I realized like shit, like my people are in other places. I need to find my tribe going to Denver, Colorado. And when I first got there, I went to this place called Denver Sports Recovery, which is kind of similar to the back recovery area of Squatch, where they have a sauna, cold plunge, hot tub. And like every single night I went there, I was meeting interesting people, having these amazing conversations about health and wellness and entrepreneurship and building stuff, like all the same conversations that we've been having at Squatch in the sauna. So then I'm like, all right, my tribe and here is a captive environment where your endorphins are racing, you know, you're, you're vulnerable, you're having these engaging conversations. So, you know, I put two and two together. I'm like, all right, I want to be around these people. I want to do saunas on a regular basis. These two things like bring out the best in me. And then, you know, some of the sticking points where I'm like, these aren't things I want to be doing is if I was in, you know, a, a board meeting that yeah. I had, you know, signed up for because I thought it was the right thing to do to be successful. And the entire time I'm like writing things down in a notebook about what I was going to do later that day and things <laughs> I had to get done. And I'm like, I'm not adding any value here, no value whatsoever, you know, and to each their own. Like for some people, they add a ton of value in those meetings yeah, and that's yeah. how their mind ticks. But yeah, for me, it just wasn't my thing. So it was understanding that I'm not present. It's not timeless. I can't wait for this to be over. Or I could sit in the sauna with this person for five hours, if it wasn't 200 degrees, and just like jam. And I'm like so happy. It's I don't care what time it is and I don't want to leave. <laughs> I love that you said the word value. It's like one of the things that I grew up on, my parents taught me was like, be valuable in any room you walk into. Basically, like, be kind, be conscious, things like that. But I think what that created in me, and I don't know if you relate to this, is I, I would stick things out too long because I was living almost somebody else's life because I thought that that was what success looked like. But really, when you start 
digging into what success truly is, is like, are you happy with the time that you are spending here on earth? And only you can determine that. So I love how you put that, like the only person that knows whether that time is valuable to yourself is you inside your head. Like if you're sitting there and you're like, this is a waste of time for me, nobody's ever going to change that except for you. And I think for me, it was very similar. Like when I got into world entrepreneurship, I wanted to build companies. Like I wanted to build teams and companies. And I started realizing that would actually hinder me from the timelessness of what I really love to do, which is build relationships. Because if I'm stuck in my own company or doing things that have to be done to get to that next level of building something, some of the things are taken away. The sauna time is taken away. The workout at 8 a.m. with you guys is taken away because I have some other commitment and I wanted to have more flexibility. So for me, the flexibility of time was really what led me to how do I build something that gives me more flexibility of time so that I can basically live in a valuable way to myself. So I really love how you put that. And I want to describe it for other people out there so that you can determine it. And I've told this on the podcast before, but I'll tell you because I've never described it, but Thrive, like the whole meaning, the acronym that we really came up with was like time, health, relationships, investment slash income, vision, and experiences. And most people sacrifice their time, their health, and their relationships for income. And that's why it's all messed up. Like your whole lives are messed up. But as soon as you start looking at where am I spending my time and am I taking care of my health and my relationships, if you take care of those three, it's amazing how much the income and the investments will actually just come out of nowhere from those things that you're involved in. And that's where I kind of want to pivot this last half of this conversation into more of like what you're doing today and the content realm and what your world looks like. And the first question I really have, because it's been a journey for me with content. We were just talking last night when Instagram came out with stories and what it looked like prior to that. And then what stories did for Instagram and our ability to connect with other human beings what was content originally like for you? Because me, I was talking about, I would post my beer or just like random things that had nothing. Um, and then eventually my wife kind of inspired me before we were even dating to make a fitness Instagram account. But for you, what was that journey like? Did you have a camera as a kid? Or like for the audience out there, Eric crushes it. It's very few people that I hang around that are putting out as much as I am and you're like 10 X and I would love to know how that got to that point. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning it wasn't content. It was a social network. It was just posting a picture like you of whatever I wanted just from the social aspect of posting something and seeing what my friends were posting. So, you know, there was no thought that went into it. There was no branding that went into it. There was no, how am I going to evoke emotion put into it? There was no real value added that was put into it. I mean, this is going back 2009, 10. I'm not sure when I first got on Instagram, but fairly soon after it launched. And then in the Iron Man journey, I started to realize like I was inspiring people. So, I'm like, all right, I'm going to post stuff about Iron Man and maybe this can help other people or inspire other people to figure out what is their passion and purpose and figure out how they can thrive. So I was posting a lot of Iron Man stuff and kind of the turning point for me of turning it into a business and a brand was in 2016. I was no longer competing in Iron Man, but Oakley reached out and invited me to spectate the Iron Man World Championships and promote and test their new radar pace sunglasses. 
And that was the aha moment of like, wow, these big brands, they're going to start sending people on trips and possibly paying people to promote their products. So from then on, I'm like, I need to learn photography. And I bought a camera and started taking pictures. Like every, everything I've done has just been trial and error. I'll do it a lot. And 10,000 hour rule, if I do it for 10,000 hours, I'll become okay at it. And I also realized I want to evoke some kind of emotion with every post. And early on, everything was just very inspiring. That was my brand, was inspiring people to exercise, inspire people to do something uncomfortable, inspire people to set these mini goals to achieve this monumental goal. So that was the reason why I think people followed me early on. And then as I started working with more brands, and back then it was just, you know, brands sending me product to post. I wasn't getting paid back then. I noticed that more and more brands were reaching out and I'm like, hmm, this is really going somewhere. So 2018, I was at the top of Mount Morrison in Colorado, had just done a hike, and I had met this guy, Dean Statman, in New York City in a prior trip to New York, and he had just left Men's Health and was starting his own PR agency, and I had this aha moment when I was up there on the, on the top of Mount Morrison. And another caveat is exercise brings you the most mental clarity and the best ideas, so I firmly believe that by exercising, doing Ironman, like those led to so many business opportunities. It was so much better than sitting in an office. Got sidetracked. Facts. 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 Sauna sessions, business opportunities, huge business opportunities. So I'm at the top. I uh, sent him a voice message and I said, Dean, I'm like, I have an idea. I'm like, I got a lot of brands reaching out to me and I think they could be valuable PR clients, but I also think you should have an agency side to it and represent me as an agent. I can send you lots of deal flow for people that could be PR clients and you negotiate these deals for me for content creation. So he said, wow, really good idea. Let me think about it. The next day he's like, yeah, let's try it. So 2018 on, it's been very much a business. And along the way, I figured out what can only I do and I do best. And I'm a firm believer in that for anything you do as an entrepreneur. And it takes a while to like land on what that is. And it takes time to delegate, automate, and eliminate all of those things that someone else can do. So I'm like, I'm the only one who can live my days. I'm the only one who can create the content, but someone else can negotiate for me. Someone else can do the invoicing, you know, all these things that I didn't want to do. So I had time to do me. So, um, yeah, he started negotiating all of these deals and, I figured out that brands want to work with people that can move the needle for them. That's what it's come down to now. It's not just like you're following your engagement. It's like, is this person going to move the needle for us? And what does that look like? Just because again, a lot of our listeners might still have a corporate job and not truly understand like from the influencer ambassador brand builder standpoint of like what moving the needle actually looks like. Um, So metrics or just some way of giving them an understanding of like what that means. Yep. So obviously there's the content creation and promotion side of it, posting stuff on my page, posting stories, but introductions to other ambassadors, seeding product for the company, sending them content that they can use on their various digital platforms, introductions to distribution channels, introductions to other brands that they can do giveaways with. So acting like a consultant, wearing all 
all of these different hats. I can be your marketing. I can be your photographer. I can be your PR. I can be your consultant to help you get more outlets to get your products out there. So that's become my unique value add within this world that has gotten pretty busy is a consulting type role where there's multiple facets of what we're doing instead of just posting a picture and thinking that's going to really move the needle for them. I love this story because so many people have reached out to me about like starting their own content journey and they have it asked backwards of like how to start, meaning they start with, they want to be where Eric is right now and getting paid for their content or getting people to buy their stuff and focusing on the dollar, just like you were saying earlier. But if you listen to Eric's story, the first thing that you did was you were posting what seems like to gain traction was your Ironman training, which at the end of the day solves a problem for somebody else. Like somebody else out there might be training for Ironman. And if Eric's a beast and I want to become a beast too, well, I'm going to follow along his journey, get inspired from it. But then also the value you give, and I've seen in your posts is like, you're telling us what you're actually doing, why you're doing it. And that solves a problem. And I think a lot of people in the beginning of their journey forget that content and social media has now turned into like, how can you solve a problem for the other person at the end? And problems can look a million different ways. It doesn't have to be about fitness. It can be comedic. It can make someone laugh. It could be anything really um, in 2021. There's something for everybody, but your end focus needs to be on like, what problem are you solving for that person on the other end? And for you, that's what I would ask is like in 2021, what is like your favorite type of thing to work on? Like what problem is your favorite to solve? So, I mean, the thing that we're doing now, Sarah and I are purchasing a property in Moab, Utah, and we want more in-person transformation. So we've had this social platform where we're able to inspire people, evoke emotion, add value, but we want to do it in person. We both feel like we can add the most to this world when we're in person with people. So this place in Moab, we're running it as a bed and breakfast, and we're going to be hosting people from a health and wellness realm and lifestyle and primal ancestral lifestyle retreats and just connecting with nature, being outside. So sharing in person how we live our lives and how we've designed our perfect days and live our best life. And hopefully that can really rub off on people after they come and spend some time with us and you know go back and incorporate some of those lessons learned into their own life. Give us a day. I'm that person I reach out next year because I know you're traveling to uh, Florida here soon and then you'll be back in Moab at the end of January. If I'm that person that's like, yeah, I want to I want to come out there and I, I would love to kind of transform. What does that look like? Just a day in the life. Yeah. So I like to build my days around tiny wins. So it's going to be constant tiny wins throughout the day. So we start the day off, coffee, always get outside for morning sunlight, walk around barefoot. We have a slack line in our backyard, skill-based activity to get the mind right, to get it like primed for, you know, doing one thing at a time really well. Go and work out. I like, that's the big win for me. Big first win every day is getting that workout in. And depending on the person, it could be CrossFit workout, strength training workout, a trail run, a mountain bike ride, whatever that person enjoys doing for their exercise win having a nourishing lunch afterwards, smoothie bowls, one of my favorite things, especially in the hot desert. So making some really delicious smoothie bowls after, and then uh, going off on some kind of afternoon adventure, whether it be mountain biking, paddle sports, rappelling, canyoneering, hiking, being outside for 90 minutes, getting in that sun again, getting your heart rate up a little bit, seeing the beauty in Moab, 
going back to the house, doing a full recovery session. So sauna, cold plunge, sauna, cold plunge, having some engaging conversations, cook food together at home. Big fan of communal dining, big fan of cooking, another kind of skill-based, you know, in the moment activity where bonds are formed. Maybe a little breath work before bed, get to bed early and then do it all again the next day. I love that. And you'll notice we, we're kind of tying this back to presence. Everything you described there is kind of like forcing a presence within you because slackline, if you're not present, you're going to fall off. <laughs> Working out, if you're not present, it's not really going to be a workout, yep. right? So everything it seems to revolve around is that presence. And I think that's something that a lot of people are lacking in today's day and age with screens everywhere and the ability for everyone to kind of suck your time away from the way that you want it. One of the biggest reasons that I started this podcast was just to connect ideas and connect people to other people that want to connect with them. So you just mentioned a, a brilliant idea and I'm looking forward to coming out to Utah and visiting and seeing this in real life and seeing it come to fruition for you. But someone out there, like who is your target type of person for that? So if they're listening to this right now, we can kind of funnel them your way. Mm -hmm. um, so anyone looking for outdoor adventure, anyone looking to get away from a high stimulus environment, We've had friends out from New York City and Los Angeles, and they were just so at peace in Moab because we have six acres. You can see the stars at night. There's no light pollution, noise pollution. It's just a very tranquil place to be. So, you know, anyone that wants kind of a nervous system reset from being in a highly stimulating environment, please come out. You know, anyone into fitness, anyone that wants to try the cold plunges and the and the sauna. So, I mean, people that already live our life, which, you know, the tribe at Squatch, anyone there is obviously perfect for, for doing that. It's basically the something similar to what they would be doing here, but in a magical outdoor place. And then, you know, anyone that feels like they need to go on vacation multiple times a year because they don't enjoy their day-to-day -day coming out and seeing our lifestyle and seeing how we've created our perfect days. And then hopefully through that, we can help them design their life around their passions and their purpose. And help them figure out ways to monetize it. You got my head spinning because literally what I've seen you do is like a dream that I have. Aaron, my wife and I have gotten into real estate here in Austin. And one of the goals is to have a beach house and a mountain house and host retreats. I've hosted a couple of retreats here in Austin. And it's one reason when I started the sauna business was to add value to people running retreats because there's just something going back to your whole like movement and ideas communities bring ideas to me so so much because the ability to ask people questions and get them like cooking is a, a great example it's such a thing when we eat you have to be present to eat most of the time i mean you can shove food down your mouth but like if you're eating with somebody it's very awkward if someone's on the phone and you're like eating you're not going to go on a second date with somebody that does that so like eating is such a communal thing for me and i love how you kind of added that in there and everything that you're doing before we wrap up i always try to understand more of where people are going with in the long run of their life because maybe, again, someone out there might be able to help you get there a little bit faster. And one of the things I'm always obsessed with is like, what is people's ultimate mission when they look back on their life? Thrive started really with, I wasn't happy with where my life was going and what I was doing. And when I looked back on it, I wanted to say that every single year was intentional and I lived it with a purpose. And for you, I mean, you've done so many different things and you have so much longer to go, but in a vague way, what does the next 10, 20, 30 years 
look like for Eric Hinman? Yeah. I mean, I've kind of landed on being the best version of myself and replicating perfect days. And, you know, I try not to look like too far into the future. I really try to break it down into, you know, every single day. Am I happy? Am I in the environment that I want to be in? Am I around the people that I want to be around? Am I doing the activities that I really enjoy? Was this a perfect day? And if it wasn't, making little changes throughout to make sure that each day is a perfect day because, I think Aubrey Marcus said it, own your day, own your life. It, it really comes down to breaking down your days instead of trying to predict too far into the future. And I get if you're like in the building stage where you have goals and you need to like get this done to achieve this. I've done a lot of that building portion. So now it's really just what structure do I want in my day every day to have that perfect day? And what can I do to mitigate things that would get in the way of happiness, that would knock me off my structure? And that's why so much of my days are so similar. It's like, I don't want to get into a bad routine. That's probably what scares me most. I want to work out every day. I want to do recovery every day. I don't want to get in the routine of like eating ice cream at night and not working out for four days. So it's like sticking to those routines. So it's just autopilot and, you know, I'm enjoying my, my days. Yeah, subtraction leads to addition. So it's really just figuring out every single day, reflecting on where do you kind of need to subtract something so you leave space to add in the things that you actually enjoy. So I love that. Perfect days equal perfect weeks, equal perfect months, equal perfect years, equal perfect life. So that's kind of, especially on my entrepreneurial journey, I wasn't doing that in the corporate world, but in an entrepreneurial journey, it's really just about tweaking and the little things. And I think a lot of people don't understand. They just want to make all these big moves and I think it's Tony Robbins that you overestimate what you can do in a year and underestimate what you can do in 10. And it's just like, you can massively change your life just by focusing on the little things like, like you said, but it's been an absolute honor to sit here and I know you value your time so much. So just very appreciative of you having a conversation with me and giving so much value to the audience. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what you're doing with Moab and everything else you got going on and how I can support and our kind of Thrive Tribe can be a value to. But we have two more questions that we always finish up with. Where can people find you? What is the best way for them to get in contact with you if they listened and they loved this episode? Yep. Instagram, my name, Eric Hinman. Perfect. Definitely reach out to him. He is a legend. Last question take a minute if you have to, but I always ask everybody, what does thriving mean to them? So when you just, when I say the word thriving, whatever comes to your mind. Yeah. Being the best version of yourself. Every single day. Perfect days equals perfect life. I love the simplicity in that. I always talk about the, my biggest takeaway on every single episode. And for me, it was kind of a two-part one today. And one of them was talking about just being present and really leaning into the things that force you to be focused. That's something that I've struggled with in my life is just lack of focus. I've always been all over the place and really digging into why am I all over the place. And I think the lack of focus is really because it's not something that I really want to do. It's something that I'm telling myself in my head, I should be doing this rather than this is what I must do. And seeing you live in action and seeing like, this is what I love. This is what I must do has definitely sparked some interest in me to kind of jot some notes down and really tweak my life into that lane. And the second one is when you were talking about seeing your overall journey and being patient with it and getting involved in things for the right reasons with the right people. I think that's something that is underappreciated in this world, but really valuable. 
And I was talking to my buddy Hamza about this actually earlier today, where it's so hard to teach that concept of just like you said, where you wanted to be around people that you vibe with and in environments that you need to find your tribe where it lights you up and they shine a light on you rather than put you in the dark. And something that you hit on and, and really hit home with me. And that's really what I want this podcast to be is to shine light on other people. And I hope we did that for you today. Before I uh, click end here, is there any last parting words you have for the audience? Thanks for having me on, brother. Awesome. I look forward to part two in Moab. Uh, but until then, love y'all. If there's one thing you can do for me and for Eric's episode, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It will get us more listens and it'll get more people like yourself inspired, motivated, and hopefully wanting and willing to help other people thrive on life. This is CJ Finley with the Thrive on Life podcast. Thrive on y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive on Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive on Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.